As you know, it is the start of the new year, which means it's time to begin New Year's resolutions. There you go. Does anybody have any New Year's resolutions set? All right, two people. Great. This sermon, oh, three. Okay, a couple people. It's going to be a great sermon for you then. I remember one year in high school, I was on the basketball team, and you know, I was working out, pumping iron, you know, getting better on the, on the basketball team, and I set this New Year's resolution because you know, I wanted to be a better basketball player, and part of that was looking at my frame and saying I wanted to bulk up a little bit. So I said, okay, to be a better basketball player for this next year, I am going to gain 36 pounds of muscle this next year. 36 pounds of muscle. It's like... I mean, it sounds like a lot of muscle, but I was thinking through it, and I was like, think about it. It's only like three pounds a month. Three pounds a month. It's like, oh, that like, seems pretty doable. I mean, like you weigh yourself like before and after a meal or before and after you go to the bathroom. That's like three pounds right there. Like, it's like, okay, how hard can three pounds be? Like, I went on a cruise once and gained like 10 pounds in a week like from a cruise. That's not muscle, but, um, but it's like, okay, like 36 pounds, just, just a little bit. So I started January. I think I was eating like five to six meals a day. I would pack a bunch of food to school. Every class that allowed me to eat, I was just hunkering down, eating food, working out a couple times of the week um, with the basketball team, doing practices seemingly every single day. And I, and I was gaining weight. I was putting on the pounds. I remember going up three pounds, four pounds. I'd weigh myself at the same time every single day because depending upon wh- when you weigh yourself in the day, you actually... Um, gain or lose weight. So like if you gained yourself, weighed yourself in the morning, one day in the night, a different day might like, whoa, throw you off a lot. Um, but I did, I was gaining weight. I was building, building that muscle up. And then February hit. <laughs> and as a lot of New Year's resolutions do, they start off really, oh man, I'm really going to hit this resolution. And then the weeks go on, the days go by, and then there's ice cream, and I want to eat the ice cream, and so I eat the ice cream, and then you know, you know my love for Taco Bell, and I got to go eat some Taco Bell, and slowly, those five to six meals a day, which is actually really hard to do, keep that up for so many days in a row, it's like, oh, I don't feel like doing that. I don't feel like going to the gym as much as I do. And looking back, as that year went on, you can look at the end of the year, and I weighed just about the same as I did going into the year as I did after, and it's about, you can look at my stature right now, it's about the same weight that I'm in right now. It's like, I'm not this huge, like, uh, muscular individual. It's just like, God has has me at this weight for a reason. I guess that's what it's going to be. So this goal that I started out, as a lot of New Year's resolutions do, man, I'm going for this. But then the discipline and the consistency to achieve those resolutions isn't really there. Don't really follow through. See, I can look back and I can appreciate the high and lofty goal that I set, but I also can look back at myself at the disappointment for the lack of consistency and the discipline that I put in to make that resolution take place. And maybe part of the error was the resolution that I set in the first place. And as we get into this new season of life, I want to challenge you to set some resolutions for this next year. And if you haven't thought through any yet, it's great to start today to have a resolution and have some that God would be pleased with. What are some resolutions that you can set today, if you don't have some already, that first off would be worthwhile endeavors, things that God would be pleased with, that God would say, this is what I want you to do for this next year. And second, how can these resolutions be ones that aren't like up high in the sky of, oh, I'm going to gain a bunch of weight next year, or ones that are uh, ones that you can do daily, 
consistently for this next year? What are some of these resolutions that God would be pleased with? We're going to look at a couple in just one verse that we're going to cover in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So turn your Bibles if you're not already there. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58. What sort of resolutions should we set? What resolutions should you set for this upcoming year? And how can you gain the consistency to day in and day out do it for this next 364 days? How can you do that? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, just one verse is all we're covering today, and maybe list some resolutions that we should set. It says this, verse 58, says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So Paul here, right into the church in Corinth, he says, I want you to be steadfast, immovable. It's the idea of, hey, be firm in your faith. Be strong and steady in what you believe. It's the first thing. Next thing, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The work that Christ has called you to, continue in that. Excel still more. And guess what? If you do that, it says, if you do that, in the Lord, your labor, your work towards that end is not going to be vain. You want to have a meaningful next year? Do you want to look back at the end of 2023 and say, hey, this year wasn't a waste of time. This year wasn't vain. Well, if we commit ourselves to this verse and do what it has to say, we can look back at this next year and say, well, that work wasn't vain. It wasn't useless. The first part is being steadfast and movable. He wants the believers, the Christians, to be firm in their faith. When I think of that firm, that word steadfast or immovable, I think of kind of the opposite of it, which is when I drive down the street and you see the gardeners maybe planting new trees, and with new trees, usually they'll put like those two poles in the ground. Have you seen that? Two poles next to it. They'll put like a little wire in the middle and the, the tree in between that. You guys seen that, right? When your parents are driving you around. Now imagine... If I was going up to this tree and I was like macho man, Nathan, walking up, being like, huh, tree, you think you're so, you think you're so tough? Let's see, how, uh, let's see how steadfast or immovable you are. And I move away the, the, the poles from it. I think it'd be hard for me to just break it, push it down. I mean, it'd be pretty easy. I'd just go up to that tree, just, ha, huh, look how tough you are, Nathan, destroying the environment. Great job. No, it's, like, it's like, it's not a very steadfast or immovable tree. Now imagine, Nathan, you just destroyed this tree. Huh? Take that. Now I go up to Yosemite. I go to the redwoods. And I see this massive redwood tree in front of me. I'm like, I mean, I already took down one tree. No problem. Bring it on. And I go over to this massive redwood tree. And I'm like, you think you're so steadfast? You think you're so immovable? Bring it on. And you just see me just pushing against, and I push it over. No, it's like, it's like, well, Nathan, maybe you did gain that 36 pounds of muscle. It's like, like I'm just pushing, oh yeah, you think you're so, nothing, nothing's going to happen with those trees. They're anchored to the ground. It's huge redwood trees. You can watch videos of these massive storms that will come through the Sequoia uh, National Forest, and guess what those trees, they stay there. Very rarely do they ever fall down. Well, why? It's because a characteristic of those trees is what we find in this passage. They're steadfast. They're removable. Why? Because they have these roots that are dug deep into the ground, and they're holding on. They're anchored to something that doesn't move, the dirt, the earth. They're all 
connected to that. Whereas a small tree, small roots, isn't really connected to the dirt. Because the foundation is shaky, these trees are not steadfast. The small trees aren't immovable like the redwood trees. Well, that's the idea of what he's saying here when you want to be steadfast and movable. Think of those redwood trees. And we can be steadfast in the midst of a culture that's always throwing out ideas and thoughts that we should have. I mean, we live in a culture, a sinful society, that's always trying to um, convince us that true things are false and false things are true. That's what Satan's job is, to deceive believers, to get us to convince that, oh, is the Bible even true? Should I really even believe in God? Is there even a God? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, yeah, Bible's just a made-up story. It's just a myth. Oh, God doesn't really send people to hell. All these false ideas. How can we combat these false ideas? Well, one thing I think we can do to false, uh, combat these false ideas is first we need to admit that we are not invincible. One reason why I think we fall prey to false ideas is by thinking, oh, I could never be convinced otherwise. You know, I, I've gone to Compass for a while. My parents are Christians. Maybe I'm homeschooled or uh, I go to a Christian school. Yeah, I'm always around the Bible. That means that no one's ever going to convince me otherwise. I'm steadfast. I'm immovable. There's no way for me to be convinced. I mean, I think we need to be humble enough to admit to ourselves, I can be convinced. I can be tricked. I can be deceived. Well, how can I say that? There's no way. It's because I know people who who were in your seats. I was in the NARA at one point with so many other students who looked like they were following after Christ. They would say, oh yeah, I believe the Bible. I follow after follow after Christ, high school, doing the same thing, going off to True North, oh yeah, I'm all in, and they go off to college, and all of a sudden, it's a slow pushing away of, oh yeah, I'm not really an all-in Christian, and then that slowly shifts into, oh yeah, I don't even know if Christianity is the only way, there's got to be other ways, to then shifting over to, oh, Christianity is not even true, it's it's a lie. It's a, man, I hate Christianity. People that I know, that I sat next to in the narrow, went down that path. Why? Because they weren't steadfast, immovable. They listened to the false ideas of the world, which wasn't just by the professors, like how it's often portrayed, like, oh, the professor really changed my mind at college. No, it's oftentimes through your friends, the people that like you care about and you really take interest in what they say, they start sowing, oh, what about this idea and this idea? And you're like, oh, maybe that is true because my friends are saying it. And all of a sudden, you're believing a lie. Things that are erroneous and false. Second Peter 3.17 says, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care, so be careful that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Hey, be careful. You need to be on guard. You need to watch what you consume, what you listen to. I mean, something even as uh, benign as um, YouTube videos, entertainment that you take in, whether that's movies, TV shows, music, the friends you hang around with, you know, all, these, all this media that we take in, social media, 
all that we consume, it's people putting out a certain worldview or a, a certain message that they're trying to promote. I know we like to uh, like watch mu- movies and just think, oh, it's just like a cool story. I mean, I challenge you when you like watch movies, think, what is this message promoting? What is this, what is this movie what is it saying is good? Does it line up with the Bible? What is, this, uh, what is this actor or this celebrity, what are they putting out there? Are they promoting sinful things or godly things? I mean, we should always have a filter over our hearts and over our minds of what we take in as, man, is this something that's biblical or not? And the way for us not to be fall prey to all these different wrong ideas is to be rooted in and anchored in something that doesn't change, something that lasts. You know what that is? That's God's word. Point number one, you need to be in God's word regularly. This year, commit yourself to be in God's word regularly, constantly, all the time, day in and day out. Oftentimes at grocery stores, um, there's cashiers that are trying to check um, when people pay for products, check whether it's a counterfeit dollar bill or not. And how they train people to, to test whether it's a counterfeit, counterfeit bill or not, what they don't do is say, here's 60 different types of fake counterfeit, counterfeit bills and memorize all the 60 different fakes. No, rather what they do is they, sh- they say, hey, here are uh, key security features on the U.S. currency that you should know. So I looked up a little bit. There's a cool website. Um, if you're, I guess, kind of nerdy like me, um, you can look on this website, and it shows you, like, different security features on different currencies. So, like, the $5 bill next to Abe Lincoln's head, if you hold it up to the light, to the right, if, actually, if you're looking at the $5 bill, to the left of his head, there's a, uh, a 5, if you see it right in the light. Also, to the right of him, on the very far end, there are additional fives that you can't see just if you're looking down at it, but if you hold up the light, you can see those uh, particular watermarks. There's another thing called the security thread, which is kind of more towards the middle of the $5 bill that says USA 5 onto it. So if they're training someone to say, hey, be careful for the counterfeits, watch out for these false dollar bills, what they say is don't just memorize all the fakes. No, know what the genuine $5 bill looks like. Know these security features. Know it in and out. Know what the paper feels like, the, the density, the thickness, the different features of what it's supposed to look like. And that's how you're going to be able to beware of the, the fakes because you know the real thing. In order for us to combat the false ideas out there, we need to know the truth. We need to know Scripture inside and out, front to back. Not just the New Testament. Oh, yeah, I know the New Testament but Old Testament as well. Got to know it fully. But it's easy for us, and I fall prey to this sometimes too, to have these temptations in my mind for why we don't want to get into God's word. I don't have time today. I'm not a good reader. I don't really like reading. I already have enough schoolwork on my plate. Like reading the Bible, that's like another thing on my plate. I just don't want to do that. I mean, how funny is it, and maybe you've experienced this too, that when you have a packed day, what's the thing that oftentimes you'll just cut out of it? it? Might be your quiet time. 
oh yeah, I'm going to make, make time for soccer practice. I'm going to make time if I'm hanging out with my friends, but oh man, if it's a busy day and I've got a lot of homework, I'm not going to cut out on my homework because I can't because I got to turn that in. What am I going to cut out on? My Bible reading. Why is that the first thing that we cut? We don't say, oh, hey, mom, I'm actually not going to go hang out with that person today because I wasn't able to get my, my Bible reading in. I, I want to do this instead because that's more important. Oh, I, I don't feel like eating lunch today because I haven't been fed spiritually yet, so that's more important than me being fed physically. I mean, have, you ever, have we ever said that before? No, we just cut out our quiet time. We need to see how vital God's word is to our lives. That it's more valuable than a meal in a day. More valuable than your homework. More important than your music rehearsal. It's the most valuable thing that you have possession of. Do you spend time in it? If you can look back at this last year, and I think we've got plenty of people in this room that can look back at this last year and say, I read through the entire Bible this past year. That's awesome. You should be encouraged by that. You should resolve this year to, man, I want to do it again. But if you didn't, if you look back this past year, you're like, oh, I didn't really read the Bible much. I wasn't really in it regularly. Resolve today that this is the year that you start taking God's word seriously, saying, I'm going to be in it daily. Psalm 19, verse 11 says, By them, which is talking about scripture, is your servant warned. We're warned about things. In keeping them, in keeping God's word, there is great reward. There are rewards by us keeping the scripture. And the only way for us to keep the scripture is if we know the scripture. For in it. What are your spiritual resolutions for this upcoming year? If you don't have any, I challenge you right now, while we're still in point one, to write down a spiritual resolution for this upcoming year. And write one that's not like me saying, I'm going to gain 36 pounds. Don't be like, I'm going to read the Bible 12 times this year, once every month. It's like, yeah, it's like a great goal, but like, odds are I don't think you're probably going to keep that goal. Or you know what I'm going to do this year? I'm going to memorize the entire New Testament. <laughs> it's like, okay, great. Like, it's like, Okay, that sounds good, but are you probably going to keep that one? Probably not. I mean, if you do, I'll give you a million Bible books. It's like, memorize the entire New Testament? There you go. million Bible books. It doesn't apply to you guys anymore because you don't go to Bible bookstore, but like, um, it's like, okay, great goal. No, what's something that doesn't have to be huge, but something that you can do daily can be as simple as this. I'm resolving to every day do the DBR and post on flip. 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day. Can we resolve to do that? How about this? Maybe not just Bible reading, but Bible study. Maybe your resolution is, okay, I, I do read regularly, but this year I'm going to tan through a, a book, and I'm just going to do it once a week. So I'm going to pick the book of, let's say, First John, and Every week, once a week, I'm going to take a little section, I'm going to tan through it. What is it talking about then? What is it talking about always? And what, how does it apply now? That's what I'm going to do this next year. Just one hour a week. How about this? Hey, I'm going to memorize a couple verses a month. Maybe it's one verse a month. 
One verse a month. Can we resolve to do something as simple as that this next year? I'm just throwing out ideas here. Sermon listening. Man, I'm going to take better notes and be more specific with the notes that I take, whether it's narrow sermons or main service sermons. Or I'm going to resolve this year to every Wednesday review my sermon notes because I never did that before. On Wednesday, I'm going to review what we talked about over the weekend. I mean, these are just ideas and suggestions that I'm throwing out. I'm sure other ones are popping into your mind. And I'm not saying pick like 15 because it's going to be hard for you to say, oh, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and it's all of a sudden, oh, it's all going to fall through. But can you pick one spiritual resolution for this upcoming year? Maybe it's praying five minutes a day. Just five minutes. Maybe it's spending five minutes a day in musical worship, memorizing a verse a month. It can be small things. But you think God would be pleased by that? Think God would say that is a resolution that is worthwhile. Not like, oh, this year I'm resolved to try 12 new restaurants. It's like, great. Does that really matter in the long scheme of things? No. I'm resolved to listen to 15 different genres of music. It's like, okay, cool. It doesn't really matter in the long run. I mean, the end of 1558 says, this labor is not in vain. The work of the Lord. First Corinthians 1558 says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So how do we be steadfast? How do we be immovable? It's by being in God's word. If we're in God's word, we're going to continue in the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord is a, is a broad phrase. It can mean a lot of things. It basically means doing what Christ wants you to do. It's like, well, Thanks for narrowing it down, Nathan. It's like, so it's a broad category of things. It can mean a lot of things. And we talked about um, a lot of spiritual-related things in point number one, Bible intake, memory, prayer. Next, I want us to think about the work of the Lord in terms of our relationships. How would Christ want us to live when it comes to our relationships with other people? What kind of resolutions can I set this year when it comes to interpersonal relationships? Second point, I think one that would be pleasing to God is point number two, serve others sacrificially. Serve others sacrificially. This year, you should resolve to have an others first mindset, putting other people above myself. Other people's interests above my own. Once you write that point down, turn over to Matthew chapter 25. Middle of Matthew 25 talks about how we're going to be held accountable before God for how we treat one another. We're going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account for how'd you treat your parents, how'd you treat your friends, your classmates. We're going to have to give an account for that. Matthew 25, verse 31, it says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So, believers and unbelievers, separated. Great throne judgment. It says, And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? So to the believers, he says, hey, welcome into heaven. You have demonstrated your faith by when I was sick, you cared for me. When I needed clothes, you clothed me. I mean, they're sitting there thinking like, wait, God, when did we see you like in need of clothing? When did we see you hungry? Like, God, you weren't standing on like the corner of the intersection with like your, like, please help me. And like, we didn't like give you money. Like, we didn't do that. When did we do that? Verse 40, and the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Say, hey, when you, God can say, hey, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was in need, you helped me. How can he, how can we, he say that? It's because you did it to other people. You treated other people as if they were Christ. How would you treat people differently this year if when you were around them, you treated them like they were Jesus? I mean, like, don't be weird about it. Like, oh, bow down to my friends. Like, oh, it's like, that's a weird, like, don't do that. But would you treat them differently? Would you maybe not just think about yourself in that situation? Would your words be different? How you talk to them? How you act around them? I'd argue that it would be way different. I mean, if Jesus walked into the narrow, oh man, you'd go up and welcome him. Whoa, what's up? You want someone to sit next to you here? I'll sit next to you. Like, maybe you should give the sermon. Like, yeah, you should give the sermon if Jesus walks in. But it's like, say he's sitting down. It's like, oh, here, can you sit next to me? You want some hot chocolate? It's like, you would treat him so well. That's how we should treat other people. That excellence, that's the mindset that we should adopt this upcoming year. Should be different than this guy in 3 John, verse 9, this guy named Diotrephes. This guy named Diotrephes, this is the only description we're given in the, in the Bible of this guy. This is the description of Diotrephes in 3 John, verse 9. It says, but Diotrephes who likes to put himself first. I mean, poor dude. The entire Bible, and for all of the church history, this guy named Diotrephes, all that he's known for is he likes to put himself first. I kind of feel bad for the dude. Like, it's like, could you imagine if, like, your name was in the Bible? It's like, oh, that'd be cool. But your only description was like, oh, Kaya, who likes to put herself first. It's like, Sorry, Kaya, that's, that's all you got in there. Or it's like Jack, who likes to put himself first. It's like, sorry, it's like, I don't know, like Jesse, who likes to put herself first. It's like, oh, I've got a leader now. It's like, come on, Nathan. It's like, I kind of stink. Like, I don't think any of us would sign ourselves up. It's like, who wants to have their name in the Bible? It would be like, yeah, me. Who wants that description after there? It's like, 
hands are going down. Think about it. This dude only cared about himself. Put himself first. Sadly, I think that's a lot of our mindset in how we live. We wouldn't say that, that, oh, yeah, I like to put myself first, but how we act is just a me, 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 me. That's all we think about. I'd hate for you to stand before the Lord, and when 2023 pops up onto the screen, and this is how I'm picturing it, I'd hate for it to say, Dane, in 2023, just put himself first. I'd hate for it to say, Faith, 2023, just put herself first. I'm not calling you guys out in particular, just, but just want you to picture that. Is that how you would want your next year to be described when you're standing before the Lord on Judgment Day? I don't think you do. I don't want that for you. Can you resolve this year to say, I'm going to put others first? What is a relational resolution that you can set this year? Relational resolution. What does that mean? It's like, okay, I get spiritual. Bible reading, prayer, spiritual discipline. I'd also, you should maybe set a physical resolution. I think uh, Scripture talks about bodily training is of some value, so I think there is something beneficial to maybe setting a physical resolution, but also a relational resolution. Maybe something like this. I want you to think through, as we get through point two, and write down one for this upcoming year. Maybe something like this. I want to share the gospel with one person a week, once a week. Someone else doesn't go to church, doesn't know the gospel, one person a week. That's my goal. Maybe it's, I know I have chores at home, but once a week, I'm going to help out my parents in a way that they didn't ask. Just once a week. Be a great relational resolution to set. Maybe it's, hey, I'm going to spend five minutes a week praying for my small group. I'm going to check in once a week with someone in my small group, how I can pray for them. I mean, think about, we all have different circles. You have different friends, different family members, different small groups, different leaders. I mean, those people that are in your life, that's like a stewardship from God. God has those people in your life for a reason. How do you invest in those relationships? Oh, Nathan, that's boring. I just got to be thinking about others. 2023 is going to suck because I just got to care for other people. That's not great. Imagine a newborn baby is born, a brand new baby born right there, the parents. You think the parents, when they've got this child, are like, oh, we got to feed this kid. We got to bathe this kid. I got to clothe this kid. Like, oh, this is the worst. Like, oh, boo-hoo. It's like, no, the birth of a child. Man, I get, I get to take care of this new life. This new child that we brought into the world, there's an excitement, there's a joy that comes from that. Why? Because they care about the child. Does it mean that every single day, that like, oh yeah, at 3 a.m. when the baby's crying, that they're like, yeah, like skipping out, it's like, yeah, it's, uh, can't wait. No, it's like, not every time, but overall, overall, 
there's a joy and there's a, um, a gratitude and thanksgiving of their service because they care so much about their child. I mean, if we want to serve others sacrificially and do that joyfully, we need to cultivate a care for others. Say, I do care for those in my small group. I care about my leaders. I care about my parents. Whoa, can we even say that? I can. Can you? Can you show that you care for them this year? Can that be our focus this year? These are two resolutions. Be in God's word regularly. Serve others sacrificially. I hope you got more specific with those resolutions because there's so many distractions that can limit and waste our time this year. I'm not saying these things are uh, bad or sinful, but there's a lot of just time wasters that take place in our lives, whether it's social media or watching videos on YouTube. I know I fall prey to that all the time. Sports, huge time waster. Um, All these things where it's like, oh, is it really spiritually significant or eternally lasting? It's like, well, it's not sinful, but it's like, eh, like, How did it really help me watching another NBA game? It's like, uh, it didn't really help me at all. Can we value our time this year by saying, I'm going to spend it well in ways that are eternally significant and aren't vain? There's this guy named Jonathan Edwards, which on the back of the worksheet, I put the book recommendation or this small little pamphlet, Jonathan Edwards Resolutions. This is a guy at age 19 wrote down a bunch of things that he was saying, hey, I'm resolved to do. There's over like 50 of them in here. Say, I'm resolved to do. Some of them, and just how he talks about how to spend his time is just so insightful for a 19-year-old to to put down. Here, Here are three of them that I wrote down. He said, I'm resolved to never lose a moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. I mean, I think he valued the time that he had. How about this one? Resolved to never do anything that I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. I mean, that's going to make you think about how you spend each hour. This is my last hour. What do I want to be doing? Third one. Resolved that I will live as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. It's like, whoa. It's like that I can look back at my life and say, that's how I wish I should have lived. That's what I'm resolved to do right now. So it wasn't some 50-year-old, 60-year-old saying, oh man, uh, I'm making these resolutions. No, 19-year-old, this is a young dude, not too much older than you guys, saying, hey, this is how I'm going to resolve to live as a young person, by valuing my time, spending it worthwhile, not spending it vain, worthless things, by being in Scripture and serving other people Guess what? It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. Those two resolutions, which I hope you have written down, two, one spiritual, one relational. Maybe you can even add a physical resolution um, uh, in some capacity afterwards. It's going to be times when you wake up and you don't want to do this. (laughs) And you're like, oh, I don't feel like doing it today. I mean, uh, every year I set resolutions and there's many days where you wake up and you're like, I don't want to keep this resolution today. What can keep us going? What can encourage us? Point number three, remember God's promises constantly. Remember them constantly. The promise 
that I'm specifically referring to found in our passage is be steadfast, immovable, be in God's word. That's how you're going to be steadfast, how you're going to be immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. We focused in on caring about other people. If we do those things, things that are pleasing in the Lord, your labor, which is uh, described, I don't, it just says labor in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, but it, what's really trying to convey is like hard work, like difficult toil. That hard work that you put in, guess what? It's not in vain. That's a promise from God. If you read God's word regularly, you serve others sacrificially, that time is not wasted. It's not purposeless. It's not meaningless. Why? Because you're going to be rewarded for it. Rewards come from that. Sometimes, maybe your resolution this year is I'm going to pray five minutes for my small group. Maybe that's your relational resolution. So many times where maybe you feel like it is vain. Well, no one sees me doing it. Does it really even matter? Or maybe you're serving your parents and you're like, they never even notice my, my helping out anyways. It, it's purposeless. It, it's meaningless. It doesn't make a difference. See that it does, and there's a reward that comes for it. There's a guy I saw um, in an article who worked at Burger King for 27 years. 27 years. And according to the article, never called a day off of work. Think about that. Burger King, 27 years, never called a day off of work. You can imagine that this, this dude... As he's going to work, maybe it's year five, year 10, year 15, that like, he's probably tempted sometimes to think like, does my work even matter? Like, does anyone even notice these burgers that I'm flipping, these fries that I'm making? Like, nobody even cares. Now, after 27 years, this guy not taking a day off of work, he gets a reward from the company for his hard work. You know what he got? He got a movie ticket two pens, a lanyard, a Starbucks cup, and a bag to put it in. <laughs> Could you imagine being that dude? 27 years for a movie ticket to Regal Cinema? Like, what? <laughs> I, I would be, like, livid if I was this person. Like, I've spent to vote 27 years of my life to this company. <laughs> And here's like a $15 movie ticket. Thank you for your service. Like, in that moment, that guy probably was like, yeah, those times when I felt like my labor was in vain, I was right. <laughs> it was vain. It was purposeless. It didn't matter. I mean, someone ended up recording this guy opening up his gift, and people noticed his hard work and ended up raising, I think it was $300,000 for this guy. Um, but in that moment, when he opened up, he probably felt like, wow, that hard work that I felt like many days was in vain proves itself to be that this company didn't really care and it seemed to be meaningless and purposeless. That's not what happens for those who do Christ's work. Heavenly rewards aren't, oh, here's a, a movie ticket. Here's a pen with the name of the company on it. Like, no, no. These are eternal rewards, ones that don't fade away. Hopefully you went to Pastor uh, Kellen's sermon this weekend. He talked about the glories of heaven a little bit. 
You're storing up eternal rewards that last forever. No, that guy probably didn't feel very appreciated, but guess what? God notices, even if other people don't notice, the work that you do. Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for, serve, for his name in serving the saints. Hey, God's not unjust to just overlook it. Oh yeah, whatever, yeah, I know you did that nice thing. No, he sees it all and he rewards for it. Galatians 6, 9, this is a great encouragement verse. I'd write it down. It says, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. That verse should be an encouragement when you're looking at your two resolutions this year and it's difficult. You don't feel like doing it. You should remind yourself, Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It should also be an encouragement when you fail your resolutions. Because guess what? You're probably going to fail them. <laughs> there you go. Optimistic New Year's Eve sermon. Guess what? Those resolutions that you wrote down, you're probably going to fail them. But guess what? How do you respond when you fail that resolution? How do you respond? One of my uh, resolutions, relational resolutions, is this next year, every day, I want to say a compliment for my, to my soon-to-be wife, Becca. Every single day, I want to say one kind thing to her, one nice thing to encourage her. Now, guess what? There's going to be a day where I forget, and I don't do it, and I mess up. What should I do? Oh, well, forget this resolution this year. Maybe I'll set it again next year, and maybe I'll say compliments to her next year. I'm done with this resolution, because I failed it. Is that what I should do? Say, yeah, I'm done. No more compliments the rest of the year because I failed. <laughs> Sorry, Becca. Uh, <laughs> tough luck. Uh, it's like, no. You say, hey, the next day, okay, you messed up that one day. Next day, get back at it. With your resolutions, be consistent with it. Oftentimes, we go in these ebbs and flows of, oh, man, I read the Bible every day for seven days. And then the next week, one day. And then the next week, four days. And then the next week, zero days. And then one month every day, and then the next month, two days. Like, I think God is pleased with consistency. This year, I remember um, last year, and with past resolutions, I, I had the mindset of one for one. Today, can I be one for one with my resolutions? One for one. Great. Tomorrow, can I go one for one? Awesome. Next day, one for one. Guess what? One day when I go zero for one, okay, I messed up. But the next day, I didn't just throw out the resolution. I said, hey, next day, can I go one for one today? Should we bring some optimism and some hope? And maybe relieve some pressure that, hey, yeah, guess what? The odds are you're going to not keep it perfectly. But how you respond when you do fail, when you stumble, when you mess up and you you. Uh, don't do your DVR for a day. How you respond to that shows, I think, a lot of your character. Do you just give up? Are you a quitter? Because a lot of people are quitters. 80% of New Year's resolutions are broken and abandoned by February. 80%. When you break your resolution, it's February, April... September, are you going to give up? Are you a quitter? 
I challenge you in this room to, to not be a quitter. God would not want you to be a quitter when it comes to these significant, important resolutions. Okay, if it's like, I want to watch uh, 15 movies this year. Okay, fine, you can give up on that resolution. Like, uh, whatever, like doesn't really matter. But one so important, so significant, say, I'm resolved to keep these. Because of the statistics of like 80% are failed by February, and most people know like, oh yeah, by February, people stop going to the gym because they failed their resolutions. A lot of people, and maybe you've fallen prey to this, of like, well, I'm just not going to set a resolution this year. I know people who have said, oh, oh, I just don't set resolutions because, you know, people always break them, and I've broken them before, so I'm just done with them. I say, don't do that. That's not a good mindset to have. It's a good thing to set resolutions every year. I mean, I think if you look at the Old Testament, you can look at Joshua 24, 14 through 28 as an example. You see Israel recommit themselves in their covenant to the Lord. They do this throughout the Old Testament. Hey, we are recommitting ourselves afresh to what God wants me to do. I'm committing ourselves again. Did Israel keep it perfectly? It's like, no, they fail all the time. They mess it up tons. But that recommitment of, no, I'm afresh, committing myself to God's word and God's work. Today, recommitting God's word, God's work. I think that's a good thing and a good practice for us to do, especially as most of society does that this year, but to make it of things that matter. Commit, commit yourself daily, every day, to God's word, God's work. Don't think you need to set some unattainable, lofty goal. Set one that you can do consistently every week, maybe even daily, and keep at it. Don't give up. Don't quit. Persevere. Because if you do this work, your labor is not in vain. It matters. And that's so you can have a consistent new year. Let's pray. God, I pray that as we wrote down some resolutions for this coming year, that these would be ones that you would be pleased with, that spiritual resolution or our relational resolution would be ones that we keep, ones that we day in and day out apply, that even when we fail, we wouldn't give up, but that we persevere and keep at it. Help us to resolve to do things that are significant. Help us to even have other people hold us accountable, check in on us, set helpful reminders around to remind us of the resolutions that we've set for us. Help us just to be a year where we grow in sanctification tenfold because of the simple practice of setting some resolutions for this year. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.